those of you who do not know me, my name is Corey Bendix. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Merry Christmas, happy Advent, week number three, and today is, is really special, not just because we're celebrating Advent, but we are celebrating baptism. Uh, we, we have a whole collection of families, people here to celebrate a uh, young man who's getting baptized, excited to, to, to dive into that here in a few minutes, but before we get there, um, if you could turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Verse 8, and we are looking at week 3 again of Advent. For those of you who are unfamiliar with what Advent is, it really is the backbone of the church, has been for the last 2,000 years. Um, if, you, if you think about you know, just a one-liner for Advent, it is uh, when it comes to God's secret weapon is a baby. It's not a government. It's not power. It's not an, another tyrant. It's not an army. It's a child. It's a baby. And I know we live in a day and age where we disinfect everything, wash our hands a thousand times and uh, wear masks, and we are really working hard to keep ourselves protected. And so as a result, we just wash things clean. Let's not disinfect this story of the Advent. Please don't. Let it be uncomfortable. Let it be raw. Relearn it for the first time. I think it's easy for this story to be cliche. It's something that we have to endure in order to enjoy the opening of gifts. And that is not the goal here. This is a moment for us to allow for the story of the king, the king of kings, to awaken us to the weakness that he had and now his commitment to come close in our weakness. And I really want to just focus in on this a title called A Divine Preparation. But I, if I could, could subtitle it, it would be God's Glory in Fragility. That what we're going to find tonight is that, is that the, the, the beauty and the glory of God has always been meant to be seen through the backdrop of human weakness and fragility. God's glory has always been made known to be seen through the backdrop of weakness and fragility. And so we're going to look at a really familiar text in Luke chapter 2. But again, please don't wash this thing clean. Allow it to pop off the pages. Let's read in verse 8. Luke chapter 2. And there were shepherds leaving... Let me start over. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, just hear the cacophony of voices saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Lord, thank you for the reading of your word. Have you ever been to an art un, uh, um, revealing, just a moment where a piece of artwork is unveiled for the first time? I've never been. I wish I, I had. I'm not that sophisticated. Uh, 
I want to be, um, but I've heard there's a lot of intrigue, there's a lot of anticipation, there's a lot of excitement. And I can only imagine that all of that was true, plus some, for uh, for the revealing of a piece of art called The Girl with the Red Balloon, painted by a guy by the name of Banksy. If you don't know who Banksy is, he is not, he's kind of an artist, but he's more of a graffiti artist. So he like makes his way all over the world and he, like you see him popping up in London, you see him popping up in New York and he's, he's so talented. The crazy thing about Banksy is that no one really knows what he looks like. And so he's, he's, he's already kind of clothed in, um, in intrigue and he had revealed this painting called The Girl with the Red Balloon. And what no one knew is that on this frame, he had built in a shredder, like a paper shredder. And what he, he wanted to make sure didn't happen was that if it, he didn't want it to get sold in auction, but it did. And so about a year and a half ago, and you can go online and watch this. It's really worth it. It's a fascinating one-minute kind of moment. So his painting is, unre- is, 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 is unveiled and everyone is so excited about this painting, this Banksy painting, the girl with the red balloon. And there's, there's so much, you know, like mystery of who's going to buy it. And it began to sell, sold for $1.8 million. And then the gavel hits. And as soon as the gavel hits, all of a sudden everyone's like, yeah, somebody bought it. And then you hear the sound, beep, 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 and this, this girl with the red balloon is now brought through the shredder. And everyone is just, no, 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 no. This priceless painting is, it seemed it's, it's being ravaged and ruined. Now, ironically, the value of the girl with the red balloon tripled because of its unveiling. But no one saw that coming. What we've been learning the first two weeks is that God is going to unveil his son. He's going to unveil him. And he's going to unveil him in the hearts of humanity that have turned their backs on their creator. And hate him with all that they are. And yet, as much as mankind has forgotten about God, the story of the Old Testament is that God has not forgotten about man. And I love how, as it pertains to sin and the deep residual impact of what sin does in the human heart, one of my favorite authors, his name is St. Augustine, and he describes sin like this. He says, but my sin, I love how he just owns it. He owns it. But my sin is this, that I looked for pleasure Beauty and truth, not in him, but in myself and his other creatures. And the search led me instead to pain, confusion, and error. I think he, sum, he, he brings a summary to the human problem so beautifully, eloquently, that all of the Old Testament is rushing forward in this reality that you and I, we have we have declared through our actions, through our attitudes, through our nature that we hate God and we can't have any connection with him unless he does something to reveal himself in us and through us. 
The question that we find all throughout the Old Testament is how is he going to do it? And all throughout the Old Testament, we see this, this, consistent, this consistency, this clarity that the way by which he's going to do it is through weakness. And this recipe of weakness, this ingredient of weakness, you would not expect to be seen in the creator of all the world. Like surely he's going to reveal himself through power, through prestige, through someone who has a really clear voice, looks fantastic, has a lot of money, and has a lot of power. Surely he's going to do it like that. And yet what we see is all throughout the Old Testament, and you know, for the first two weeks, we've, we've really worked hard to unpack how weakness is seen from, as it pertains to God's plans at the very beginning. And Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, really says it just really perfectly. This is, this is what it says. Isaiah 11.1, 1, out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Did you catch that? That out of a stump, a dead stump, a root, a shoot is going to begin to, to push through. But it's through this weakness, fragility of a shoot. God hasn't given up on us. And he's decided to reveal himself through the backdrop of human weakness. And we don't put that together. We don't see that coming. It's an ingredient that we don't pair with the God of creation. Reminds me of, of my, my, my mom. Her name is... Kathy Bendix, and if you know my mom, she's one of the sweetest women that you could meet. Um, her and my dad both are just, they're just delightful people. But during the Christmas holiday, they love to create something you don't, you, you wouldn't see coming. They love rum cakes. And my mom uh, loves to, like, that's one of the things that she gives to her neighbors. She just loves making rum cakes. Well, in order to have rum cakes, you've got to go to the ABC store and get, you've got to get copious amounts of, of beef eater gin or, or rum or something. I mean, you've got to have lots of it, like lots of it. And so it's one of the most humorous things to watch my mom go into the ABC store and come out two-fisted. I mean, she's like, she's rocking it with these large plastic bottles of, right? It's an ingredient. Now, of course, with rum cake, the alcohol is, is pulled out and the flavors of the rum, I, like, but she, she puts, she does it right. There's, there's lots of good flavor in that rum cake, but it's, I just felt like, man, watching my mom go into the ABC store and coming out, or my dad, who's a pastor, that's even better, right? Like just walking through with a couple of bottles. I'm like, that, that you wouldn't see that ingredient paired with my mom, who is just the sweetest. You, just, you wouldn't put the two together. I, it's, I love the fact that when we think about Christmas, we need to pair the, the ingredients of weakness 
and fragility and all of the human, the, the, all of the things that we discount about ourselves. that that is the very backdrop that God himself wants to now press in and be revealed through that in you and me and ultimately in the world that we live in. This is his plan, has always been his plan. And as we draw close to this story, human weakness is replete in the story of Advent. Every part of it, you cannot miss the theme of weakness and fragility. Whether it's Mary and Joseph and a birth cloaked in scandal. A scandal that I don't believe left when Jesus was born. I really believe that that marked Mary and Joseph for the rest of their life. That was the scars that they had to bear to bring hope into the earth. You, you look at how these wise men, like we call them wise men, they were astrologists. They were, they were like witch doctors of their day. They were the ones who were, who were like diving into all types of, of ways by which you can, you can summon the spirits. And God is revealing himself to them, pointing us through the star to hope that, that the Savior has come, but he, he reveals himself to wise men. Even the location, Bethlehem, this would have been a town of 100 people. This was a tiny, forgotten, dismissed, backwater town. Like, like th this, this was not the place that you would assume that the Savior is coming. It would have been Jerusalem. But even the day and age, the Pax Romana has entered into, into human history. And if you know anything about the peace of Rome, there was nothing peaceful about the peace of Rome. They grinded their enemies underneath their, bo their boot and they constantly reminded them of it. And, and when it comes to Jesus and the time frame that he's born in, it is of severe poverty, severe. It is, it is catastrophic, the time frame. And yet here Jesus is being born to us in weakness. And here we are with a story of shepherds. And the, the, the way by which I really want to unpack this is really through an unexpected audience. This is not who you would expect for God to break the 400 years silence. It's called the intertestament testament period between Malachi and Matthew. 400 years, God doesn't speak and yet here he is, breaking his silence to shepherds. Using the shepherds to break the silence to the world that we live in. And even the idea of the, only, like the first sound of God speaking in 400 years is the crying of a baby. This is powerful. This is God constantly coming back to us and saying, my glory will be revealed and will be seen through the backdrop of human weakness and fragility. And can I just tell you, that has never been better news than it is right now. For many of us, we know for the first time in our life, we have been introduced to our own weakness. The fault line of relationships with husband and wife moms and dads with their kids. 
Moms and dads with teachers, just trying to keep the peace, trying to figure out how do we do life and all of the pressures, they are undaunting and they're leading all of us to a place of weakness, fragility. We all feel it. For, like, like when it comes to, to young people, 25 and under, one out of four of them have contemplated suicide. That's, we, we're living in a day and age where emotional tension and weakness is hitting us all. And we're all in the same place. You may be feeling it emotionally. Others may be feeling it financially. For, for all of us, we're feeling it in the world Governmentally, racially, socially, there is we, we are living in a day and age where, where weakness is the air that we breathe. And we wonder, where is God in all of this chaos? Where is he in the mess? Oh, people, isn't it so good to consider the Old Testament and how he draws close? And guess what? He comes close in weakness. He comes close in fragility. And he wants his glory to be the backdrop, to be revealed through the weakness, the chaos, and the fragility that all of us feel. And it begins with this unexpected audience. Do you realize that shepherds, they, they weren't, they, they, they weren't exactly what you would think that, that, that God would like come to and break silence and draw close to. This is, a group of people that were actually seen as untrustworthy, as lazy. Um, their word wasn't allowed in a court of law. Most were, were lawbreakers, had broken the law. They, they, they couldn't get a job anywhere else, and so they became shepherds. In fact, they, for many of them, their, 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 their days were so long, they couldn't, they couldn't go through the expectations, demands of becoming clean in order to go to temple to, to the synagogue to worship their creator. They couldn't do that because they couldn't get the time off because they had to take care of sheep, which is, a, it's just, it's an it's a all-encompassing job. And so all of them were unclean by Levitical law. So here they are on the outskirts, on the margins of the city, in darkness, doing what they had been doing, a thankless job to a thankless people. Broken, I'm sure, reminded of their position and lot in life, the lowest rung in the ladder of Israel. And here comes, God, here comes God's angels, one and then a host. And what I love about this moment of the angels being included is that they were fully known and fully welcomed. Have you ever been fully known? I think right now, and in the age that we live in, we work hard to keep distance. Even in weakness, we, we've, we go to the controls of Instagram or social media where we can continue our brand, a brand where we look like we've got it all together because we don't want to be fully known. This, this, this moment where the angels come to these individuals right where they are, in their fragility. And you notice that as soon as the angel speaks, their response is one of fear. 
Because they're thinking, oh, God's he's got us now. I've been waiting for this my whole life. Now he's, he's coming to get me. Like they, they draw back in fear. Why? Because, oh, man, they were just broken, unclean on the outside, unclean on the inside. And they're, yet they're in the midst of their current position. They're fully known and fully welcomed and included. Oh, man, that's, that's even saying that, that's what we need here, that you are fully known right where you are, right where you, when it comes to what you, how you've been investing your heart, investing your emotions, investing your life. You are fully known by the God of all creation who is coming close right where you are, right in your weakness, right in your fragility. The God of creation is coming close. And these were the words that St. Augustine, the one I said before, he was a sexual deviant in 400 AD. This is a man who went from prostitute to prostitute to prostitute. He was broken. And yet, in his brokenness, guess what awakened him to the reality of God's love for him and now this reciprocation of his love to the creator, Emmanuel, God with us. That, that's what awoke, like broke the silence and caused his heart that was hard to be softened and awakened was he was fully known and fully welcomed. John Wesley, great uh, father of church history, father of the Methodist church, would ride around preaching, so organized, so discipleship driven, loved the gospel, and on his deathbed, guess what he said? Before he now goes from one earth into another reality, seeing Jesus face to face, he said, the greatest news on my bed is Emmanuel, God with us. Fast forward to last week. I'm on the phone with a gentleman whose brokenness uh, would it just was extensive. It reminded me of my own. I had, it was my own worst enemy, and he was as well for himself, driving himself into deep darkness, considering suicide, just so much that he had done, and yet was at a place where he had no answers, no hope, and yet he, he was hearing the faint call of of hope through Jesus. And guess what I told him? All I had to give him was God with us. You're fully known, fully welcomed. And this is the news that has been traveling for 2,000 years and is as fresh today as it was to the angels who heard it thousands of years ago. They were awakened. They were jostled in their heart. Unexpected audience, and now we have an unexpected arrival. Unexpected arrival. And when we think about this message of Jesus, this hope that we have in Him, what the angel says is great news of great joy in the Messiah. That we have this, this, this introduction that the life that we lived can be about joy rooted 
in hope. See, we live in a day and age where it's all about happiness. That we're told to, to, go, to, to, to allow your heart to lead the way. Follow your heart. Which is a dumpster fire one-liner, if I could just be honest. Please don't do that. Please don't follow your heart. If you hear that, please just walk away. Because that is the worst news and encouragement that anyone could give anyone else is to follow your heart. Because I don't know about you, but my heart and myself, I've been my own worst enemy. Like my heart changes, not just by the year, but by the day. Like we live in a day and age where now you can wear bracelets that let people know that your sexuality is changing. And it, it doesn't change by the month or by the year. It changes by the day. You can wear a different bracelet to let someone know. You can call me his or her or they. This is the world that we live in. We live in a, we, we live in a society that is encouraging your own personal happiness. And I don't want happiness for you. I want joy for you. I want in, immovable, unmistakable, untainted joy that comes from an immovable hope found in Jesus Christ. See, this is, this is what this whole message, this is about this, this, this singular man named Jesus Christ. Not, not, not a message, when it, not, not, not just a, 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 a collection of things that you need to do, or just a, a, a list of objects that you need to accomplish. This is about, this is a message of hope through a man named Jesus. And in this message comes now this place that he's born in Bethlehem, the weakest of all places. And he's born as a baby in human weakness. And he's born in a manger. He's born in filth. Do you realize this? That Jesus was literally born in filth to be the only hope that now offers himself in your filth and in my filth to, to give us joy that now can be rooted in himself that will not change, even in a society and a culture that's changing by the day. I, I heard um, there's a guy by the name of Tim, Tim Keller, he's a pastor in Manhattan, and just a fantastic, he's, he's not just a pastor, he's a theologian as well. And I think we've all heard the language of like, I'm struggling with certain sins, We've all said that. And, and what, what he did is he, he came out and said, that, well, there's, there's surface sins or idols and source sins and idols. He said, there, there's, there's a whole list of surface idols or sins that you can talk about that you struggle with. But really, you have to go back to the source. And he's, he says that there's four main sources that people put their hope in. Comfort. Affirmation. Power control. Those are the four things. Like when you think about like this, the whole hope of putting yourself in comfort, we live in the suburbs for most of us. The suburbs were created like for your comfort. Like you can get out of your house, get into your car, in 30 seconds be at a Chick-fil-A where you wait for an hour, <laughs> where they bring out the food to you, and then you go to another place where they bring out your groceries to you, namely at the Walmarts, and then at the Walmarts, you go back home, right? We are, are living in a world of, of comfort. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it's so easy to now put your hope and now find your foundation in as long as I'm comfortable, I'm going to be okay. But everything about the Christian life is now is not about comfort. In fact, it's about the opposite of that. 
that as we serve Jesus, we are going to be made to be uncomfortable. And so the question is, where's, where's our hope founded? Or affirmation. Man, it's so easy to live this life where you, you live for the affirmation from other people, whether it's through likes, through, through constant encouragement, where we exist so that someone can tell me how good I am. But at the end of the day, when it comes to Jesus, he didn't live a life of affirmation. He lived a life of rejection. Everything about him was, was one that he was rejected by the world around us. But if, if our hope is found in affirmation, man, it's only a matter of time before we go inward and we, we get angry and we lash out. For, we live in a world where we need control. And for me personally, I have a, a twofer going where I love, I love comfort when I'm in control. I, I, I mean, if we're honest, we probably have a couple of, like a combo based on the day. For some of us, it's all four. Hey, just take them all. It's so easy, though. just hear me, it's so easy to find yourself being sucked into to rooting yourself in hope as it pertains to life under control where I am manipulating my world and I have to be in control. And if I'm not, I am lonely, I'm angry, and I'm confused. Or power, we need to win. And guess what Jesus does? The irony of, of, of the gospel and this life of Jesus entering into human weakness is that he is the one that lost comfort. He is the one that was rejected. He is the one that lost control by coming to this earth. And he is the one that gave up his power so that you and I could find our hope in himself, in him and him alone. And church, I'm, I'm just, I'm inviting you into this, this opportunity for us to be found in Jesus Christ. All of our hope, all of our passions, all of our dreams, knit and weave together in him alone. Like, do you realize how far he came for you and I? That the idea of, there's 324 messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. The probability of one man meeting all 324 is one in one and then put 17 zeros behind it. That's the probability of one man coming in and fulfilling all of those prophecies for you and I. And this one man, born in a manger, born in filth, this is what he did. And this message of Christianity, of God coming close in our weakness, is opposite of every other religion. The Muslim faith, it believes that Allah in his... To weed, he, he is so holy, he is so other than, he would never be caught dead being close to, to those he created. The Christian faith is not what you see coming. It's the unexpected. God came close to you and I. This is what melts our heart. This is what we are longing to hear. This is what we're made for. So you have this unexpected arrival to unexpected audiences. Now we have an unexpected audacity. I love this. Let me, let me read it to you. This is the last part. We're almost done. This is the last part of this story. And this is what it says. Verse 15. How are the angels going to respond? When the angels left them, gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. 
which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off. Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, I love that, the shepherds returned to their fields, glorifying and praising God for all of the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. I, just, I love, love how these men face to face with hope found in a king. And you'll, you'll notice the shepherds didn't tell them to go and say anything. They just offered up hope. And guess what the shepherds' response was? We want to seek, we want to savor, and we want to speak. This hope caused them to commit to seeking the Savior. You see, the Savior had sought after them through the angels. It initiated contact. And that awakening that that had occurred in this moment where they come face to face with what they were made for, that, that they were fully known, fully welcomed, that initiated a passion in their heart, desire, longing to seek after this this king. And can I just can I tell you, for, for many of us, we're hearing this and our heart is literally, it's, it's warming even as we're reading and talking. That God is awakening you so that you can spend the rest of your day seeking after the Savior. What I love about this text is that, the, that these, these shepherds, they go and they see the king in his squalor. <laughs> In his this place of a trough, the smells, the sounds, all, all, of, all, of, all of the animals around, and yet in the midst of all of the filth is the king. And this, this caused them to have now a joy that had to be expressed. You see, joy is unfulfilled until it is fully expressed. I, like I, my, my wife and I, for anniversary, we went, we went to his bed and breakfast. It's the first time we, we'd ever been to a spot like, like that. And, and it was just amazing. I mean, everything about it, the experience, the ambiance, the food, just us being without our kids. Oh, God, it was awesome. Uh, I'll take that just by itself. But that you mix in the fact that it's at this bed and breakfast, in a, in, like we're staying in this place built in 1775. Like everything about it, like we're just, we came home and I couldn't help but talk about what I had enjoyed. These shepherds had enjoyed the king. They'd received hope that they had been longing for and it awakened them. It revived them. And they could only do one thing. Just talk about what had changed and transformed you. All evangelism is, is enjoying Jesus in front of people who don't know him yet. That's all it is. That's all it is. It's that simple. It's being revived by the king. Having a consistent everyday. You see this word glorify and praise. That's in the present tense. You see, that what had happened is that they received news that changed them the present tense every day for the rest of their life. And guess what they did? They came back 
to their job of being a shepherd. I love that. They came back. They came back to the place that was seen as dismissed. They came back to a place that seemed as overlooked, as on the outskirts of even being despised. And yet they were entering, re-entering themselves into that reality, but with a brand new hope. And fueled by a joy that would not be changed. And this is what we have, this Christmas season. This is the Advent. This is a divine preparation. That, that this, this ingredient, if you will, of weakness is seen at every level, seen at every point, weaves together the hope of the Advent, and now is weaving together your life and mine. This is the only thing that makes sense about 2020, is this message. That the glory of God is seen through the backdrop of human weakness and fragility. God's glory, just wait for it, just prepare yourself for it, because God's glory is coming to you in a fresh way. Where, where the hope that is found in the king is going to be the very thing that awakens you in the morning and puts you to bed at night. Not what happens when it comes to a bank account or presidential election, but found in the hope of the king. Oh, I, I, I beg you, I, I, I'm asking for you to consider where has your hope been put? Has it been put in control, in influence and power? Has it been put in comfort? Let's, let's be people that reconsider where our hope is found. But see, the way that Jesus came into the earth in weakness is the way that he ends his time on the earth. He dies naked. He dies as one who has been despised. He dies in this, in this arena of weakness. All so that he could come freshly to you and I in ours. Let me close with, with this. Um, there's a movie called Knives Out that our family loves. We, we enjoy it. It's kind of a, it's, it's, a, it's a mystery movie that has a cool ending. And there's, at the very end, there's a father who'd written a letter to his kids. And this letter was written in invisible ink on this piece of paper that you look at it and it doesn't look like, it just looks like a plain piece of paper. But it was signed to his daughter. And everyone just kind of walked past it. And then at the very end, his daughter comes, looks at this piece of paper with her name at the bottom and takes a lighter and puts the heat underneath the piece of paper, wondering, I wonder if dad wrote this to me personally in invisible ink. And it was amazing how the heat caused the words from the father to rise. And in those words, she found hope. We think about this challenge, this current place that we're in, that I don't think is going any place anytime soon. We are in a place of weakness and fragility. And this is going to be the place by which God's glory now reveals words from the Father to your life that you're not alone, that he's with you, he's coming close. This is the hope of Advent. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for who you are, for whose we are. Jesus, it has just been a joy to consider the story freshly.